Three Amazon sellers. Three Amazon sellers. Entertaining conversation with some of the brightest minds in online business. This is the one-stop shop to start or scale your business further than you could ever imagine. Ever imagine. Welcome to the Buy Box Bandits Podcast. going on everyone welcome back to the buy box bandits podcast today we have one of the infamous twitter personalities we have soros from arbitrage ops who's full-time oa retail arbitrage working on getting some wholesale he said and did about 8.5 million i think he said last year so incredible volume we're excited to learn all about that and we want to say we recently hit a thousand subscribers on youtube and we'll be giving away some merch uh danny's not wearing his shirt because he lost it but we'll have some new merch but lots of giving away Buy Box Bandits merch. We're announcing that soon, so please comment uh, on the YouTube video for an extra entry uh, if you are you guys are interested in that. But yeah, Soros, thanks for being with us. Really happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So take us back to the start and how you got into Amazon and everything before the soon-to-be tens of millions of sales you've done. Man, take it all the way back. It's only been a little bit over two years, but it feels like it's been a lifetime because it's so different now. I have like 25 employees it was just me with a, with a phone scanner, like just with a new mentor. I didn't really know, just, just keeping the faith that this thing. And, um, I'm super excited. My mentor and I had a falling out and we actually just reconnected and he's going to come back and talk to my whole team on Monday. Very excited about that. Uh, but yeah, we, I started, my wife introduced me to an Amazon mentor. I was a full-time trader. Wasn't doing, you know, doing so, so, but I had a baby and I was like, I got to get serious. And this mentor, just within a couple minutes of his like initial pitch, I could just tell like he was professional and he like, he had an operation going and he was someone I needed to listen to. And really his teaching wasn't so much tactics. I mean, this is one of his mantras. It was Amazon is 80% mindset, 20% mechanics. And I just, it was constantly repeated to me. And, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I'm like, I'm not really sure, but I'm just going to go all in here. And I, he would have me going to the stores with the phone scanner, checking for restricted products, like going through entire stores. He wouldn't tell me what to look for. And he's like, he's like, Soros, right now you have more money than opportunity. In a few months, there's going to be more opportunity than money. And I'm like, all right, let's just keep it going. And I'd go to the store. It's been all day. I wouldn't find anything. He'd say, just only focus on the yes. You're one more step. You're one step closer to like finding a product that's going to work. And I'd go to Marshall's and find a spatula and be like, all right, make three bucks on this. How does this become a business? But then you keep hammering away and you keep seeing more and more. You see more and more products show up that you can make money on on Amazon. And something happens where you're like, it does hit that day where you're like, holy shit you can drop me into a store and I can find thousands of dollars worth of things that can flip. And that veil that gets lifted when you finally realize that arbitrage is not something that like big companies figured out. Like that's kind of what I always thought, like how could this be possible? It's something that is ever present. Like arbitrage, the ability to find an inefficiency in the market where something is being sold for less um, is always gonna exist. We always have this same problem in business. You could look at my store there would be 20% of my products make tons of money and then 60% make pretty good money. 
Then I have this final 10 to 20% that I don't have the time, the energy, the resources to dedicate to like making the pennies that these products can make. I got to get rid of them. And someone has that time. Someone has that resources and someone can look at my store and say, this guy didn't price these right. And I can buy and they could buy them off my store. So I'm meandering a little bit, but basically this idea that there is endless opportunity, endless arbitrage, and then seeing the repetitions, scanning, 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 and then finding wins snowballed into like, holy crap, Amazon and business in general, it's just lifting the veil and there's all this opportunity. What was the the time frame from when uh, like you started with the mentor to when you say like kind of the veil got lifted or when you had your first like major mindset shift? That's a good question. Um, I believe it was 2019, um, September, I started with him. So I went through a couple months. My first sale was like the last day of November, 2019. So a couple months in. My, the, the guys I know like starting Amazon are getting sales way faster than that. I don't know why it took me so long. Uh, I would say around February, January, February. So maybe four to six months. Yeah. Four to six months is always my sweet spot for like when somebody starts working with me, when you start hitting a little confidence. And when I really started realizing I'm like, this stuff works and, uh, and it really, it started getting exponential fast. I mean, he said, you want to buy a wide variety of products. You want to get your hands dirty. You want to see sell or not sell. So you keep looking and keep learning, but don't blow your load. Don't spend too much money. But then once you kind of like see the numbers and see that they're working, I was not afraid at all to just start maxing out credit cards and just buying inventory like crazy around January, February. Yeah. I think, I think me, Miles and and Garrett is not here. We all kind of had that moment where we were like, all right, we're going to go full in on it. And then we just, no fear started like going pretty damn near maxing credit cards or the Amex cards. And I think it was, it was like you said, trust, right? So Danny and I did Amazon a little bit in 2019 and 2020, but nothing serious. We started again in February and March of last year. And then within literally like four to six months, we each started hitting like hundred K revenue months. And it was literally that exact time frame. Like yeah. June was yours, Danny, I think. And then August was mine. And that right about hits that timeline of once you start really seeing that compounding, with not only the money that you're moving through, but also the knowledge and the product catalog, you know? Like, are you dealing with a lot of SKUs that you're able to replenish or are you mostly dealing with one-offs? We, I, I, I push that really, we're always looking for a fresh buy. We do replenish our inventory, but we are constantly looking at the market as it is today. So like, you want your company and your buyers to know like good things that sell. You want them to easily go back and check check those stores, but I'm always looking for a fresh buy. It's like retail arbitrage in the beginning. Like we're going back to the store. Um, I thought that was the game replenishment, but I don't feel like that's the game. I feel like the game is developing your buying skill, getting better and better at reading Keepa charts and just repeating that over and over again. So fresh buys would be the majority of my inventory. Mm-hmm. And so you started, you said you were full-time, was it day trading? Yeah, I traded crypto from probably 2018 to or 2017 to 2019. Were you working uh, like a typical nine to five before that? Way before, like I'm 34 now and I was 25. It was my third year, like in a corporate office that I started traveling. I worked for like, I, I did the Tim Ferriss thing, got out of the office and worked from them from home. And then like, I was down to like a few hours a week working for an accounting firm and making a full-time salary living in my 
our partner does that too for a big currently for a big company. But dude, like I'm telling you, just one phone call that I had to make, like one client that was annoying was enough to like be in my mind that like I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not jumping all the way in. Like I I'm still a corporate worker. I don't care if I'm doing it four hours a week. For me, I had to take a full leap. And that started out as uh, crypto trading. And that got me fully out um, of the corporate thing. And I, you know, I had ventures here and there, but Amazon is where I really started building a business. Mm -hmm. What was the kind of reaction from like your friends and family when you, well, I guess it'd be similar going from uh, like the nine to five Amazon to the crypto trading. So what was kind of the reactions you were getting from friends and family when you said, I'm leaving my job to do crypto or, or switching to Amazon? I mean, first of all, I, I started traveling and didn't tell most people. I didn't tell my parents. Like I was like in East Asia and Southeast Asia and like a couple months in, I'm like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm out here. So it was a massive shock, but I was so proud of it. Like that was really a huge thing for me. I remember reading Tim Ferriss when I was in college and I just didn't know how to put it together. And he was just, you know, four hour work week. I don't know if you guys have read that book. But oh, just- so ahead of its time. That was in like 2008 or something that it was published. Yeah, that- really lit a fire in me and I felt like I was implementing it a little bit. So no amount of, I mean, I knew whatever friends and family thought and all the fears, like my pride that I was doing this, like really outweighed it. I I felt very cool with what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned having buyers for you. And that is something that my brain can't quite wrap around to be, I know big operations do it, but how do you train someone to source for you? That's really interesting. I mean, when you first ha- when you hire your first person, whether they're retail or online, like what you just learned in four to six months, that's not rocket science. You just immersed in the information and you put pieces together and your brain got better at it and you see deals. And you could boil that down to a one pager to get somebody started thinking just like you and just let them get reps and freaking spend tons of time with them and get them thinking exactly like you. So when you hire your first employee, if you're in the store or you're probably online, like source all day and have this dude shadow you all day and then have him source and, and freaking give feedback, constant feedback. What it, you didn't re, you didn't like invent something for NASA. You literally learned how to find cheap shit. You can train somebody to do that too. And you can review them instead of you constantly searching. Mm-hmm. Some, some buyers are better than others. Some people, I would say my company does a really good job of being above average at Amazon. And we're, the goal is to keep them above average and growing. The issue I see with some sellers that hit the eight-figure mark is they're still the genius that is needed for their company to run. They're still the end, the final buy. They're still like the only person that can really find the deal. You don't really want that if you're trying to scale to a huge company. you got to pass it on. How difficult was that when you first started? Because did you always have that mentality? of uh, just like doing the shadowing or were, were you hesitant at first? How, how hard was it for you to delegate the buying process and put that trust into someone else's hands? So it happened. It's very natural for me. It's very unnatural for other people, but there was plenty of friction when I started. And honestly, how it started was first, I, I'm, I got addicted to high value time. So one thing I noticed a few months into doing Amazon is I couldn't, I would get to the store and I was already confused and angry when the day started because I was helping my wife with the kid. I was helping her get out the door. Like it was a mess. And my mindset was all off getting to the store. So my biggest move I've ever made in my business is hiring 
a nanny to help with the baby and make breakfast. Like literally, so I got out the door and suddenly I won back all this high value time. So I went through probably spending eight hours a week of high value time to 40. That was the biggest value win I've ever made. So that kind of just sat in my head and like, so then now I'm, I'm buying on my own. I'm, I'm out there. And then the next biggest win was a prep center. So prep center, I'm spending all this time prepping. That's low value activity. That is five, 10, that's $10 an hour activity. I make, I was kept telling myself before I was making any money, I make $400 an hour shopping when I'm outsourcing, when I'm developing my buying edge, just kept telling myself that. And so free up my time, get a prep center. The next step is I added a VA and he was just helping me win back some time. One hour a day of like prepping a spreadsheet for my prep center. So those were the first big wins. So it kind of developed. Well, then I just started having them shadow me on sourcing. And buying and sourcing was the, is the last thing you should hire. It's because that's ROI by far. That's yeah. it. That's your high value. Like if like you should be doing that, you should be building that as long as you can. But once you get pretty good at it, bring somebody on and you realize you can create another person that works like that. And my guy got better than me at it straight up. Like he was better at sourcing than me after a few months. He just, it just clicked with him. So that addiction to like freeing up crappy time and a, a little bit of used to be called laziness. People think, I've always told me I'm lazy. I've always kind of like felt bad about it. Like, no, I don't want to go wash dishes. Like I don't want to be someone that freaking washes dishes at night. That is a low value activity. If you can do it in a meditative way, that's great. But I want that shit hired out. Like if I could be using that hour, making $400 an hour, I want, I want that ability to do it. And even if I'm not going to use that specific hour, that hour of rest, that hour of recovery is, is golden. You shouldn't be stressing when you could be recovering or doing your highest value activity. Gotcha. A lot, a lot of tweets right there. A, a lot, lot of, a lot tweets. of tweets were just spoken right there. <laughs> that was really cool. I like the prepping is $10 activity. That was funny. It's true though. Yeah, it's very Dude, true. I remember prep, man. All day, just sitting in, at home, like trying to help have family members help me out. Like it was a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> so you're all prep center stuff now. No in-house? All prep center. I don't have my own warehouse. Um, I've considered it, but I actually know some really smart big sellers that are actually, they had their own warehouse and they're, they're trying to get. So like, you, it's, it's another thing I don't do. Is my primary goal my primary value is finding cheap shit. It's not managing low, low value labor. If I can get a huge low value, uh, what's the word? Yeah, just like low, low hourly rate labor. That's a hard business. Managing people that make small amounts of money. Like how do you manage that? Um, if you really like that part of your business, well, shit, you can build a prep center. You can make all kinds of money from that. But I don't like managing low level labor. I like trying to find like as much products as possible. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So in terms of tactical stuff on how you're going out and finding items on the OA side, are you guys uh, tactical arbitraging, a lot of manual reverse sourcing? What, what all is going on there? Um, we don't really use tactical arbitrage. I'm not against it, but it's like any tool. You have to be good at it. You're against other tactical arbitrage sharks. Exactly. So good at it. If you're going to use it, I train manual, man. Like I, we really just train people to use intuition. You go to sites, you wait for uh, coupons to come into your email. If you get really good coupons, you spend more time on those sites. And 
don't just click one product by one product. Use a little intuition. Does this product just right off the bat seem like it could be a good deal? Click in. You, you really want your team to develop that like spider sense of something that's good. You don't want them following like a conveyor belt, just click one after another. Uh, so that, but that's what we do. It's the, the edge in Amazon. I'm, I literally am a completely open book because my edge is currently, I'm a lot bigger than other people. I can accept a lower margin. I can buy very small quantities of things because I have buyers, I have reviewers, I have checkout people. I'm an open book. The edge in and Amazon is getting really good at buying, getting really good at reading Keepa, getting really good at maybe some things that don't show up on the chart uh, that you know this is going to be a good buy because of the seasonality or the brand or something. That edge is all you're going to need. There's a lot of people coming in here doing elementary buying. You would not believe how many people don't know what Keepa is. And sorry for the, the viewers, that is basically price charts and sales rank charts. We, we hope they know what it is. This might we, be their we, first. Yeah, TV we talk show. about how important Keep is all yeah. the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's it. severely it's undervalued too. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I know wholesalers that do three wholesale friends that they're like, Soros, what's Keepa? I'm like, what the hell? How have you guys made it this far? That's crazy. Yeah, we have, we have a friend who's like an awesome full-time guy and he didn't even know what it was till last year. And he's like, great and successful and everything believe it you don't need it but that is a that is a way to build an edge like oh, yeah. buying the your edge is from your buying are you better at buying than other people and keep is one way to do it mm -hmm. do you offer any incentives uh to your buyers or do you just pay them hourly or salary so i pay my employees probably three to ten times more than other people um people think i'm crazy I might be a little crazy, but like, I love, like that's become a huge, just, I've loved that part of my job. Every month I, in inventory lab, I run the sub, I tag every buy by an employee and I put in the supplier code in inventory lab. So I can run every month supplier profitability and I can see who made me the most money. And I give bonuses based off of who's killing it. And I basically like to tell my staff, um, I pay staff like 30% of all net profit back, like back to employees. So everyone is on commission in my company. Mm -hmm. There's uh, people come in at four bucks an hour and within two, three months, they're making 20 bucks an hour. And my CEO is making 50 bucks an hour. So I really like to reward the rock stars. And if, if people aren't growing, if people aren't like improving their leads, they're, um, they're going to stay at their lower rate. And I'm, I'm, in, I'm in an interesting predicament now with 25 people that I'm realizing not everyone's motivated by money. Though. A lot of the rock stars are motivated by money. So you can get some killer people that just go after it because of that. But then I'd say 70% of the company, yeah, they like it, but life isn't a scoreboard of money. Like the most miserable people in the world are stockbrokers, like because their happiness is just tied to this number. And I'm learning that now I got to create culture. I got to play video games with my team. I got to give prizes. I got to have like meetups, stuff like that. So that's what I've been working on lately. How, and I think our, you mentioned it. How big is your, is your company right now? So I, I don't even know half the time, but I'm pretty sure I'm around 25 employees between arbitrage jobs and my company. Um, I also have a couple other sister Amazon stores. I call them like satellite stores that they pay me a royalty. Between all the employees I've hired, it's 37. Wow. That's incredible. In two years too. You know what I mean? And how many of those are domestic versus VAs? 
domestic i have like three domestic employees it's just oh, okay so those guys are eating overseas at 20 bucks an hour they're oh eating. Yeah. yeah dude oh, so that's the thing like dude they come in matt just just true it up to our numbers they come in making like 40 grand a year and months you could be making like 250k a year think about the fire that lights in somebody it's so hard to get an american employee on the same motivation level like how do i pay how do i get an american excited about this besides i have to say look you can work for me get really good and then eventually open up your own shop Mm -hmm. you have any you have any tips for anyone who's looking to hire vas or what to look for in them uh yeah for sure um if you i use upwork uh, first of all, you always want them on your schedule. Don't do the whole, like they work at night and you check in after you want them on your schedule. So you can have direct feedback, uh, on Upwork, you want to pump up your company, get good people looking at it. I like to look for accountants, engineers, project managers, uh, problem solving type people. Uh, you want to have screening questions. So you can invite a hundred, invite a lot of people to your job posting invite a hundred people. You got to have a good statistical sample and put out screening questions. Like, why are you interested in this job? What are you good at? What are you bad at professionally? Uh, why, uh, what are your career goals? Something that they can fill in and, and like actually show that they're interested. So you cast a wide net, get those people in and, and do some interviews and you should, should be good to go. And I don't hire on Upwork for Amazon skill. I hired smart people and teach them from the ground up. That's yeah. one, uh, way to do it. There's also agencies. Uh, we actually, at Arbitrage Ops, we, we have a, a deal with Fast Track FBA where uh, yeah. we provide VAs and they come literally trained. They come um, recruited. They come, they have to pass a test. They come trained. Uh, they're not going to come and just revamp your business. The biggest mistake people make is hire a VA and just like let them source. And you think that's going to build your business. You have to teach your VA what you learned. I don't care how well they came. I don't care how well trained they are. They need to learn your skill. Your job is to get your edge good and then teach your VAs your edge. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of the workflow, are the VAs able to check out on most websites overseas or are they VPNing or how does that work? That's something I've always wondered with people who leverage VAs. So this is a piece of alpha. And again, I'm an open book. Let's just you've do it. Gotten, you've given a lot out. So this is another piece of alpha. Dude, I don't care anymore, man. My <laughs> business is rolling and I've always had this abundant mindset. And I just, I, I feel weird when I protect. It just doesn't feel right. I'm, I'm protecting my stores. That's enough. I'm not going to tell you all the stores I'm buying from. But okay, this took me months to figure out when I started OA. Like, and this is a totally non-technical solution to the problem. People are probably going to laugh at me for this, but I, what I do, because I was using VPNs, virtual desktops, I could never really trust if my guy was using it or not. He's like, yeah, I was on the VPN. I'm like, were you? VPNs can throw off fraud checks on sites, in my opinion. So what I do is I have them use TeamViewer or AnyDesk, which are free softwares. They TeamViewer into my laptops, and then they do checkouts from my laptop. So I am 100% sure they're using my IP from my you know, location, you use act like a normal person when you're buying. Stores don't care about bulk buying as much as they care about fraud. They don't want to see like overseas sites. They want you to be a normal person. Use a regular login. Use the same credit card. Uh, get your billing and shipping matching. That's number one. After that, there's more tactics to like like buying online is an art. Like you have to you have to not give up and figure out like what is going to get you through checkout. 
but from my experience, it's acting like a normal person. It's not acting like not getting all, you know, jigging addresses and VPNs here and there. That's not what you need to do. Yeah. So do you deal with just an insane volume of order cancels or like, do you guys, I'm sure you work around it, but I'm sure it's terrible. It's terrible. It's that's one of my biggest problems right now, trying to reconcile what the hell happened last year. I grew so fast. We weren't reconciling that fast. And like so many cancellations, different sites treat cancellations differently than others. So many pending orders. Like there's a lot just around that I got to figure out where everything is. And, uh, that's an interesting thing about running a business of this scale and inventory flying all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so as you keep growing, you said, uh, I think prior to our call, you said a little bit of wholesale. I, are, you, are you like, do you really see OA being what can get you to multiple eight figures or are you going to, is wholesale going to be a big part of that? Well, it all works. Like, honestly, my retail arbitrage has the highest ROI. Um, I just, I'm having a harder time managing those people but I love my retail arbitrage for the ROI. Online is probably the lowest ROI, but it's, I like the flexibility. If one store doesn't work, you move to the other store. Wholesale is, there's a lot of different ways to look at wholesale. Straight wholesale, like I have friends that they literally have a storefront so that they can attract like a brand, like Oakley to sell. Well, that takes a lot of relationship building. Oakley will cut you in a heartbeat. You have to sell at their map, minimally accepted price. Um, you have to sell their new stuff that you have no history on. There's a lot of things that go into wholesale that aren't that attractive. There's also like wholesale arbitrage, essentially. There's these like distributors that will buy closeouts and um, they'll, they'll give you like all types of brands to buy from them. So there's a lot of things in wholesale, a lot of ways in wholesale that you can make money. Um, now I like to do all three, like a three-pronged approach and whichever one's got the opportunity at the time, like go after it. How are you managing the the RA side of it? Are you do you're not doing any RA yourself, or is so it you're first that hired? Out? Uh, no, 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 dude, no way. I don't I don't want to buy anymore, man. I don't, yeah, I don't think yeah. my keyboard logins even work. No, I, I have to get back in because because I got to review my reviewers. But um, in retail arbitrage, my first hire for retail, he's been around a year and a half. I've tasked him with big bonuses to hire and train two new people and review their buys. So the same operation is running. He's hired two people from like indeed.com. And um, yeah, we're just hitting the stores and dropping off at our local center. And then it's not online. You can review before you buy. That's an advantage of online retail. You got to trust your buyers to make a good decision. And then you can give them like weekly reviews, go through everything they bought and be like, you know, why the hell did you buy a 2 million sales rank? Or like you did great here, buy more of this, that kind of thing. Gotcha. When they're when they're in store, are they just just straight Keepa, or do you have any other software you use in store? Um, in store, honestly, retail arb is more of a speed game. Like, can you just like I'd say retail arb the, the way to go is you you find your store and you find your rack and your strategy that's working really well. Make sure that works really well. So then you put somebody in there and they can't make that many mistakes. It's really hard to check Keepa every single product if you're like going fast at the store. So. They do check Keepa. They should be checking Keepa, but it's not like you have to check every single product. You kind of got to make a good call about it. And one thing about retail also is there's not usually like tons of quantity. So you don't usually get that in trouble with like buying too much of something. Just, you know, clean the 10 shoes out and move on to the next one. Right. Gotcha. All right. One thing I'm very excited to hear. What's like, 
the biggest lick you've ever hit. It could be one retail arbitrage store, obviously not specific product, but, or, but just in framework or the biggest volume, best ROI you've ever seen. Tell us about some of the good ones. Honestly, man, we buy, I, I hate to not have a great answer here. We buy so wide, wide, not deep is like something you should always follow. Um, especially when you're starting buy a wide variety, you get rewarded for having a wide array of inventory rather than like doubling down, tripling down on one. Um, we don't buy a big stockpile of anything. Um, I would just say, I mean, there's some out like outlet stores that just continue to pay. Uh, I mean, I don't know, man, it's, it's not my thing. I have like, you know, we bought an $80 pair of, uh, I mean, we've, we've been buying Yeezys for like 250 bucks and selling them for 700 lately on Amazon. And all the sneakerheads think they're like, no one buys Yeezys for 700. I'm like, you ever heard of Amazon Prime, dude? Like, yeah. Sure. Literally, people will pay extreme, like just for that safety that it's prime. It's coming to your door in two days. Like they'll pay. Gotcha. And what are some of your favorite categories to to go after? I'm I'm all shoes and apparel, but that's mm -hmm. just because I happen to start that way. Like I would say, if you're starting up, like go with your gut on something you don't. I didn't like shopping, but I didn't mind being in shoe stores. I didn't like being in the kitchen section of Mar Marshalls as much as shoe stores. So I'm doing shoes, but electronics are massive. Like we're just not that good at it yet. Um, I would say once you pick a niche though, double, triple down on that niche, like get really good at that niche. I think I get a little bit of an edge because we understand variation buying and shoes. Gotcha. Cool. Do you have any really big losses that stick out in your mind or any really big hardships throughout this? Sure, there's, there's been, been plenty of losses. Uh, I mean, recently we, we started buying like old Kai sandals and like knowing that the brand is selling on Amazon and we got hit with like 150 IP complaints. And uh, that was a matter of getting the brand on the phone and being like, um, yeah. when you get IP complaints, you get brands coming after you. My advice, it's like the agents, I don't know, I'm thinking the agents in the matrix, like you turn and you run, like, do not fight them. Do not like, try to <laughs> some people try to do this, but like go to the blue ocean, like, call the brand and be like, I'm so sorry. I won't sell it again. Please take off this. Like I'll, I'll go after a bunch of brands for you and tell them to stop selling it. So we had to remove a lot of inventory. They were selling great. That, that risk reward was worth it though. There were other people selling that brand and I thought it was worth it, but we had to remove it all, send it back. Um, I mean, I remember just from my beginning, when I first started, like my first big buy was Cabbage Patch Kids at Costco. And they were like a 5,000 sales rank looking great. I was going to hold them to Christmas to like get the price to go up and uh, supply just flooded in. So like, it was just like a battle of like who could get out first and you didn't want to get out. You didn't want to make it to February holding a bunch of toys. So I ended up losing a little bit on those, but I thought I was going to make a lot. Gotcha. And in terms of uh, capital acquisition to scale this operation so quickly. Talk to us through some of the stuff you've done to get the capital needed to buy good products. That's a great thing to talk about in Amazon because Amazon in the end, in my opinion, it's a capital business. You got to have inventory to make money. This isn't the type of business, except for pool season two summers ago, where you could just flip and flip and just compound your own inventory. You can do that. But the way I look at Amazon is like, if you have a profitable business, you should be looking for financing. If you can prove that like you are making money on this, you should you should inject a little capital. I don't want to get people in trouble there, but the <laughs> first thing, as you said, dude, maxing out credit cards. That like 
that literally carried me. That took me from like, you know, 20, 30 K risk to like, I was, I had a lot of credit. So that's what I went with first. Uh, after a year and a half selling on Amazon, you're going to get lending opportunities from Amazon, not, not even a credit check. Um, it'd be better for you to get a credit line from a bank or even get like, just work a deal with a rich friend or family member. Like, look, you want a high interest loan? I'll pay you freaking 20%. Like, I think I can make 200% on this rotating it throughout the year. Um, I'll give you 20% for some of that early on. So get a little creative. Don't think that capital, everybody thinks capital is like a huge limitation, but money is looking to find its way to profitable things. If you, you may have some friends that, that want a little piece, I wouldn't give a little, I wouldn't give like a huge investing piece, but uh, maybe attract some people with high interest loans if your credit isn't so good. Gotcha. Cool. So tell us about arbitrage ops and what you guys got going on with that. Yeah. When, when did that get started? So, yeah, I appreciate you asking. That was like, so that was around COVID. I had just hit my stride. I just started hitting those hundred thousand dollar months and the stores all shut down and I was all retail arbitrage. And uh, Charles, Charles the ETH, he was a big crypto Twitter personality. He had me on his crypto entrepreneurs podcast. And dude, I was just so excited about all this stuff. Like I was just like, I couldn't tell enough people around me about it and nobody cared. Like in my nobody personal cared, dude. Nobody cares. It's crazy. Great. This guy's going to fuck up. And uh, I go on this podcast. We shot the shit. It went really well. And uh, I hadn't known, I didn't really know Charles well before that. And like, we were like, let's just make a telegram group and funnel people from the podcast. In. And uh, it was an awesome telegram group and we made it free discord and we had like 700 people in there. And uh, we decided, we were like, look, we're going to make this paid. Uh, we're going to drop everything we're doing and start building this group up and getting like, you know, giving you guys good information. And that was, um, you know, almost two years ago. And we've since had like, I don't know, 15 people hit seven figures from the very beginning. We have eight figure sellers like that have just found us and the like we, we build people from the ground up as Amazon sellers, but like the community, the money that I've made for memberships, like not even close to my Amazon store and not even close to the value I've gotten from just like eight figure sellers joining us and being like, Hey, like here's a couple tips. So our community has really, I think we are the best Amazon community around. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of communities, but obviously I'm going to be biased, but we really like what we have there. And uh, yeah, we're trying to build it even further, being able to bring somebody from zero. We're trying to get where we really have a lot of crypto Twitter X people. We're trying to be more um, attractive to like uh, soccer moms and like regular people trying to make money in this because we want the people that like have a little bit of business acumen, and a little bit of drive to take advantage of, of Amazon. Does it get hectic in the group with a lot of the X crypto people? Cause I know, I know some of them. So, so that's the beauty of the group. The beauty of the group is we have taken that type of personality and that is not allowed in the group. There's That's no trading awesome. chat. Allowed. <laughs> That's awesome. Not that we like purposely knock that down, but in the beginning we probably did. Like the, from my very first teaching with my mentor and still today, there is almost no reason to be negative and bent. Like you should only be solution oriented, only be patting yourself on the back, only be encouraging your buddies. Like, it's like, I remember when I started, you have so many friends and 
not a single friend of mine, if they're good friends, like they just give opinions. Like they're not giving you, you, all you need as a business owner is a pat on the back. Like you're doing a good job, keep it going. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the attitude we try to foster there. And there are guys that vent and bitch, but there's people that come right back in and are like, look, here's the solution to this. Let's keep it going. Like you got this. Yeah, we, we talk about that a lot on the podcast, how important it is having a community around you, especially if you don't have like any immediate friends or family that do the same thing. Having like-minded people you could talk to every day is like probably the most important thing in this business. For sure. A hundred percent. Like for information, like we have infinite resources and if you can grab them quicker and yeah, just that encouragement, like my biggest encouragement in the beginning was like, my wife was fine. was just like, I'm like, dude, I need to need to be safe. I need to do some CPA work. She's like, no, this is like, you got this. And that's all I needed. I didn't need a friend to be like, well, maybe you'll fail if you go to this store. Like this isn't a good idea. You might get stuck on this inventory. I don't need those opinions. I just need some like e-com is growing like crazy. Arbitrage is not going away. I just need to get to work and put the pieces together. I don't need no opinions. (laughs) I feel the same same way. Serious storm of teeth there. Fantastic. One thing I'm curious about on the arbitrage side have you ever dealt with being just absolutely like screwed off product inauthenticity complaints when they ask for invoices and all you have is receipts? Um, well, no, I, I only use receipts, man. What's hilarious is like, I have uh, some wholesale deals and like I use the invoices and Amazon doesn't accept them. And I'm like back and forth for like three months and I can't get through on those. So receipts should work. You got to just keep, yes, I'm always in this situation. Right now, we've got a bunch of these and I thought I had my department like doing pretty well, but you have uh, solutions. You got to be persistent as hell. Keep getting creative. Keep sending new ways to showcase this is legitimate. You're talking as uh, some some lawyer explained it to me. You're basically talking to someone that has a seventh grade education that has about twenty seconds of time, and you have to try to just break it down for them really quickly. Doesn't always work, and you just got to keep trying to break it down again. Then you have. Firms like uh, Riverbend Consulting, they can they can give you some templates to help. Um, and then there's also intellectual property lawyers that can help. And I don't have the silver bullet here, but uh, you got it. This is account health. Defending your account is a big part of Amazon. Um, it's lower value. It doesn't contribute to your bottom line, but you got to spend the time on it and then hopefully hire someone that can like really stick with it and be persistent with your cases. We we answer things right away. And we try to like, like right now, my account health has recently gotten into the yellow and it's really annoying, but we'll be in the green soon. Yeah. It's probably just the, the unfortunate volume of stuff that's going through. Like last week I had to submit over a hundred receipts from one store for one ASIN and it got overturned, but it was a pain, but it was a couple, two hours that ended up working well. Yeah. So like, that's the kind of thing that if you brought in a VA started four bucks an hour, like they should have watched you do that. Mm. And that shouldn't be you doing that. Um, and I, dude, I'm, I'm helping with it right now. And it's annoying me that I, I didn't fully train it out, but that's something that's not your high value time, but it has to be, that's a tough one. It has to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's important too, for anyone listening, you need to act on anything account health right away. Yes. Cause if you let it sit, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's I one thing that's really, really bad. They value the quick responses too. From what I, I've heard. I think they do as well. I think, I think you get points for it. Absolutely. We try to respond like immediately. Hmm. I don't care if they're just going to reject it. Yeah. 
I used to, um, well, I had a couple invoices I had to submit, but I had like multiple ASINs on one invoice. So I would just highlight on the computer, on the PDF, I would highlight the one that they're supposed to be looking at. And when I didn't do that, it didn't work. But when I highlighted it immediately, it worked right away. You really have to like show the person what they need to look at. Cause you're right. They have a seventh grade education. They have like yeah. 20 seconds to look at it. That's another art, man. You got to get good at, yeah, exactly what you did. Highlight it. Do it every circle it, print it out, circle yeah. it. It's ridiculous. And like right on the thing. Like this is the one, like, look at, look, look right here. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Gotcha. Yeah. So for the buy box banded listener who still hasn't gone ahead and got started, gotten their first sale, what's your best advice in terms of action plan to go ahead and do that and then build on it? Um, you still haven't gotten your first sale. Well, you got to get your, your seller central up and running. That takes a little bit of time, but yeah. once you do that, um, I would hit a store. So if you're, are we talking, are they typically online or retail? So we preach online, but RA just to get a feel for stuff. I, I typically like to recommend. Either way, the advice is the same. I would say get a list of brands you can sell. And one way you can do that is you can, uh, if you're retail, you can just walk into a store um, and just like look for the brands that are there and just start plugging them in to add a product and see what's restricted and what's unrestricted. Um, online, you can do the same thing. Go to like a big site like Marshall's or whatever, plug in a hundred brands to add a product and you can also apply to sell. Some brands will randomly approve. Uh, get a big list of brands that you can sell. And that way you can focus. So then next time you go into the store or when you start sourcing, just look at those brands. Just look at a few brands. Don't like sit there trying to check restriction every single time. That can really like stifle you when you start out. But yeah, like don't be afraid to buy a little bit. If it, like, you know, know that you're going to lose a little bit of money or it's all for like everything that you buy, even if you lose money on it, is like a massive value to you. It's 400 bucks an hour, like in three months. So you want to go wide, not deep. If you find that freaking spatula at Marshall's that makes you three bucks and you're like, how am I ever going to make a business out of this? Just buy it anyway. Because, um, you know, down the road, you got all these employees. They're going to go to the 10 Marshall's in your area and pick up. 20 spatulas that make three bucks. That's 60 bucks in profit in addition to the products they pick up. Gotcha. Yep. And like just with any business in general, what you do week one is completely different than what you should be doing in month six or mm -hmm. month three. And you have to understand that you're going to have to create that first shipment and look like an idiot clicking around seller central. It's going to be confusing at the start, but it gets to a point where you know how to do all that. And then the only variable is finding more profitable stuff. Absolutely. You got to do the prep. Like, so I'm saying, I'm talking a lot high level where you eventually got to hire this. You got to learn it all first, because how are you ever going to train somebody and, and know what to review if you didn't like eat the shit first and do it all. So yeah, I remember the, dude, it took me a week to do my first prep. I had no idea what I was doing. Like you just got to put in that time and have a little faith that this is a cycle and it's going to open up your eyes. And eventually like you're going to get confident and you're going to hit the next levels. Where, uh, where do you see yourself uh, and your businesses in like five years, 10 years? So I don't do a good job thinking too far ahead right now. Um, or any, like any goals for the future? Maybe not where you, you know, I love that question. I, I do. I don't think Amazon is the end be all end all. I think Amazon that business there's opportunity everywhere. So um, I think there will be another business for me outside of Amazon. It could be into Walmart third party right now. The money's in Amazon, but it could be, 
other types of inventory, then eventually some other business. Uh, but over the next few years, especially this year, like I'm trying to build like a place that people love coming to work. Uh, they have personal development, business development. I'm trying to like um, create charities. Like we have a lot of Filipinos like in the Philippines. I'm trying to build like a really cool place to work. We just rebranded from like my last name to Fire Tiger as my, um, as my internal company name. And I think I just had a good call with um, just a kick-ass entrepreneur named uh, Tom who runs Fast Track FBA. And he's like, with visions, don't think about achievements and where you and your goals as much. It's like, think about what you're, you want your day-to-day -day life to be. So, you know, after, if you get really successful at Amazon, you're gonna make plenty of money, you're gonna make more than you need. Um, the next step is how do you want your life to look? So I got to have a long, hard think about like, what is my day-to-day, -day, like, like, what do I want it to look like? And I know one thing that I love about my job and what I always want to have in my job is, honestly, I love talking about it. I don't mind coming on podcasts, but I really like the mentoring aspect of my actual team. Like the guys that are working for me and I'm building them up. I love seeing people hit the next year. So wherever my businesses go, I want to make sure that I have given the lower value activities and I've, I have delegated enough where I have the time to come in and mentor, to come in and like bring people up, goal set with people, like get people. I love seeing my, my first online employee, John, go from like a technical spreadsheet guy, not knowing, like very soft-spoken to leading 25 people. He's the CEO, like seeing him hit those next levels that he didn't even know he had in him has been like one of the most rewarding things. So something related to that. All right, that's awesome. Amazing. Yeah, well, and, thank and you're you. and you're really single-handedly changing a lot of these people's lives. I'm assuming that live in like the Philippines. I, I never went in thinking that. Uh, everybody goes in. I want to just make some money, but it's going to come some become something greater if you want to if you want to succeed and if you want to be happy. And that's I think when you start out, that seems like a bunch of that's just too much to think about. I just want to make enough money to pay the bills. That's mm -hmm. I went in thinking that I'm like I want to make like 100k, man, like doing something outside of corporate and you don't have to think that far ahead, but it, it will come. Like if you have employees, like they're going to like rely on you and you're going to be able to, yeah, help them out. It's awesome. All right. Fantastic. Well, yeah. Where can everyone find you on social media and the group? Um, I'm Trader Soros on Twitter. I'm more posting in arbitrage ops. I just posted a thread about some of the stuff. So yeah, just the Twitter arbitrage ops. That's probably where you get most of our info. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if, if a plug's all right, but oh yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll have it all linked below as well. And you guys should really consider. I, a lot of people will, I think, after hearing this, definitely. It's money. It's money back because we ask a lot. We're asking them to start a business. We're not like come in and get a couple flip quick flips, which you could, but it's not going to be for everybody. Someone's going to be like, it's not. It's not time to start this business right now. Like, I don't believe in doing this. People have done it, man. People are doing their day jobs and doing this, but I believe in going somewhat all in, or at least like putting a lot of time in it when you start it, because like, this is a, you can build a business on this. Why not? Why not like see it through rather than like, if you're doing something a couple hours a week here and there, you're never going to get that immersion where you guys spent the four to six months and you hit that new pattern of thinking where you can see all these deals. You're not going to hit that spending a couple hours a week. All right. Fantastic. Well, you guys, everyone go check him out. And thanks a lot for a really, really good episode. We really appreciate awesome. it. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thanks guys.
Yep. Uh, everyone listening, thanks as well. We'll see you guys in the next one.